Well, in this season of the year, as we move towards Christmas, you'll hear lots of conversation in the general population about themes of hope, love, and joy. These are universal ideas that almost anybody anywhere is willing to grab hold of, and they speak to us about some deep human longings that lie within us. And while that's helpful and important for us to understand, we must first realize, however, that the Christmas story is born not primarily out of human longing or human desire, but out of God's desire and God's longing. This is a story that's birthed out of what He has desired for us. And so over these next few weeks during this season of the year, we're going to explore the promise that God has made, a promise that God intends to do something for us, to us, with us, among us something that we ourselves are powerless to do. And we begin that journey today by turning to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, one whose words we hear spoken frequently in this season of the year, for it was Isaiah, perhaps more than any of the other prophets, uh, who spoke most directly about the coming of the Messiah. And so this morning we turn to the ninth chapter of Isaiah and we read together Verses 2 through 7, let me invite you to follow along. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, every family has its own unique way of counting down the days until Christmas. In my household, my wife and daughters begin that process in mid-September. Because that's when they start counting down the days until the Hallmark Channel launches its marathon, non-stop barrage of Christmas movies. Now, in case you are unfamiliar with this wonderful little gem of American romantic sentimentality, let me explain how it works. Once you've seen one, you pretty much can guess how all the others are going to go. It goes something like this. As the movie begins, 
a woman, usually a woman, an attractive woman from the big city where she has a high-powered, important job, comes home for, let's say, Thanksgiving to the small town where she grew up, where the way of life is just very, very different. And during her short visit there, she just happens to cross paths with the guy she dated when she was in high school. Turns out he never left this small town. Instead, he's hung around and he has started his own handyman business. He drives a late model pickup. He's dressed like he just came from a photo shoot for Abercrombie and Fitch. He spends his weeks putting handrails in for little old ladies and his weekends rescuing kittens from trees. And he has perfect teeth. And of course, he's single. Now, as soon as they cross past, the sparks begin to fly, and you can already see where this is going. The old romance starts to rekindle, and you begin to wonder if possibly somehow these two might just wind up together. Of course, there are some obstacles to overcome. Almost certainly there's a jealous sister somewhere in the mix. And then there's the question of whether Miss Successful can leave her high-powered career in the big city to come home and find love in the slow lane, or whether Mr. Perfect Teeth can make it work in the big city. But as the countdown to Christmas continues, you have this growing sense that somehow, against all odds, it's going to work. And sure enough, on Christmas Eve, as the snow begins to fall and carolers are singing somewhere in the background, they kiss. And for some reason, they're always at an outdoor skating rink. I've never quite figured that part out. And then as the credits roll, Mr. and Mrs. Wright go off to live the perfect life happily ever after. Now, I realize I probably just offended about half of you in the room who were planning on going home and watching one of these movies today. And so let me say very clearly, I don't have anything against the Hallmark Channel. In fact, I think these movies actually provide a useful insight into the human psyche. Because we long for stories where everything works out right in the end. We love it when all the problems are solved and all the conflicts are healed, when the loneliness is overcome, when the relationships are restored, and when happiness is found. We love it when good things happen to good people and folk live happily ever after. And if you can tell us one of those kinds of stories with all the magic and beauty of Christmas rolled into it, you've got us hooked. There's only one problem. Christmas in Hallmark land looks very different from Christmas in the real world where most of us live. Because in our world, problems aren't always solved. And conflicts aren't always healed, and loneliness isn't always overcome, and the good we long for doesn't always come our way in the way we want it, when we want it. And the approach of Christmas Day doesn't change the fact that we still today live with unanswered questions and failed dreams and broken relationships and divided communities and a whole bunch of baggage that we keep dragging around with us. So what does Christmas look like 
in the real world? Well, to answer that question, we turn today to Scripture. More specifically, we turn to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Now, in some ways, that may seem strange because Isaiah lived and spoke hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene, and yet it is critical that we begin our understanding and our conversation of Christmas here because the coming of Christ into the world wasn't an accident and it wasn't an afterthought. It was instead the fulfillment of a plan and a promise promise that God made long ago, long before the angels and the shepherds shared that silent night in Bethlehem. And the words we just read from Isaiah tell us about the circumstances out of which that promise came and why that promise still matters to us. Now let's set the stage and go back in history a little bit. It's somewhere around the middle of the 8th century B.C. We won't worry about a precise date, but we're talking here about almost 800 years before the coming of Christ. By this point in history, the nation of Israel had split into two halves that were now in conflict with each other. The northern portion of the kingdom kept the name of Israel, and the southern part of the divided kingdom now went by the name of Judah. So before we ever start, we've already got a division, and these two are actually now on the brink of war with each other, and here's why. There was a major military threat pressing in from the outside. The Assyrian Empire had risen to geopolitical dominance and was threatening all of the other kingdoms around it, including both the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Well, in order to stand firm against that threat, the northern kingdom of Israel formed an alliance with its neighbors, the nation of Syria. And then this union of Israel and Syria together tried to persuade King Ahaz of Judah to join their alliance to strengthen it further. Well, when King Ahaz, following the recommendations of the prophet Isaiah, the very one we just read, when he refused to join their alliance, Israel and Syria together went to war against Judah in an effort to overthrow Ahaz and to put someone on the throne who would be more aligned with their purposes. Well, Isaiah the prophet tried to persuade Ahaz not to fear this threat, not to do anything rash or radical because God would provide, but Ahaz couldn't help himself. When he looked on the horizon, all he saw was threat upon threat upon threat, so he turned for help. And he did it by turning, of all places, to the Assyrian Empire, the very ones who were threatening to overrun the area, thinking that if he made nice with them, he could save himself. Well, the Assyrians were nobody's fool. 
They took advantage of that opportunity and swept into the area. And when they did, they utterly destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, hauled its people off into exile, and basically they were never heard from again. And then he turned around and demanded heavy tribute from Ahaz in Judah. In other words, Judah now had to pay heavy taxes to the Assyrians, which meant for all intents and purposes, Judah was now a vassal of the Assyrian Empire. They were no longer free. Now, I know all of this sounds remote and irrelevant ancient history, but I want you to try for just a moment to imagine what life would have felt like for the people of Judah during those days. You've just seen your kinsmen to the north be destroyed and hauled off into exile. Now you are watching your own king be forced to bow and pay tribute to a foreign pagan ruler who doesn't have your best interest at heart. And somewhere in the back of your mind you're wondering what it all means for you. When will this crisis overtake you? That's the question they were almost certainly pondering, each one of them, in their own individual ways. And to be honest, I don't know that we have to stretch our imaginations too hard to put ourselves in their shoes. Because some of the same thoughts and questions and fears are still plaguing us today. Now, I'll grant that our political situation is a good bit more stable than theirs was, but we have our share of uncertainties. Just think of the profound political and ideological divisions among us today. How many of you this past week during the family Thanksgiving gathering had to bite your tongue when an uncle or a cousin said something that made you angry? And now that we bring it up, what will these impeachment hearings do to us as a nation? What about all the rumors of a possible recession and the looming threats of terrorism and school shootings and the rising cost of health care? There are more than just a few things to make us as a people feel anxious and worried today. And then, of course, in addition to these large national dilemmas, we all come to this place today living out our own personal struggles and crises. That bill that we can't pay, that marriage that we can't save, that disease that we can't heal, that friendship we can't restore, that fear we can't seem to outrun. Many of us here today are wondering when the crisis will overtake us. And so maybe the story of ancient Israel isn't all that ancient after all. Because it is a story that plays itself out over and over again in every generation. That's why it's so important we understand the words Isaiah speaks to us. Because it was into that situation of chaos and uncertainty and fear that God speaks a word of hope and a word of promise to his people. In spite of this large mess, most of which they have created for themselves, God promises that he's going to do something to save them. 
Specifically, he promises he's going to raise someone up who will come and lead them out of the darkness in which they currently find themselves and will lead them into a new life of freedom and joy. He refers to this coming leader as a mysterious son who will be born into their midst. And then says this son will grow up to bear the weight of leadership and governance on his shoulders. And the kind of governance that kind of leader will provide will be exactly what the people need to lead them through the darkness and into the light. Isaiah gives us four names or four titles that will be attached to this coming leader. First, he says he will be the wonderful counselor. In today's climate, we mostly think of a counselor as someone who helps us work through our emotions. And while that is certainly a vital part of healthy counseling, we must also understand that a counselor, simply put, is someone who counsels. That is to say, a counselor speaks wisdom and truth into our life. A counselor says to us the objective realities that we can't see for ourselves so that we can understand better how to respond to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Next, Isaiah says this coming leader will be, quote, the mighty God. Now, the original Hebrew of that title is a little bit tricky, but it's worth pointing out that God will use the exact same title to describe himself in the next chapter, Isaiah 10, verse 21. That means whoever this coming leader is, he will be identified with God in a unique and privileged way. He will be the one who will bring God's very presence into the midst of the challenges of that chaotic moment. Next, Isaiah says this coming one will be the everlasting father. In the world of ancient Israel, the father was understood to be the head of the tribe and his calling, his obligation from God was to lead his clan with wisdom and integrity, unlike the leaders of that day who did exactly the opposite. Isaiah says this coming leader will bring that kind of wise and integral leadership into the spiritual and moral confusion of the day. Finally, Isaiah says this coming one will be the prince of peace. Every king wanted to be able to say that he had brought peace to his people. But the only way the kings of that day, and frankly of ours as well, knows how to do that is through brute force and the power to threaten the enemy. But this coming leader, he will be the very embodiment of peace. The peace that has eluded every other leader before him. That's the promise God made. Where there was uncertainty, God would bring wisdom. Where there was chaos, God would bring leadership. Where there was violence, God would bring peace. Where there was brokenness, God would provide access for his people to his very self. That is exactly what Jesus accomplished and fulfilled some eight centuries later. Jesus was the wonderful counselor. Every word he spoke 
was pure truth and was filled with authority, an authority that even his opponents were forced to recognize. Jesus was the everlasting Father. He came to lead those who would follow him with perfect wisdom and absolute integrity. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He provided a way for his followers to live at peace with each other and with God and even with their enemies. Ultimately, Jesus was and is the mighty God who is the very presence of God, who enters into our chaos, who comes into our confusion and fear. Jesus was and is the fulfillment of God's ancient promise. Now, I might wish that everybody here today and in the weeks to come could have a perfect Hallmark Christmas. But life being what it is, I rather doubt that will happen. I do hope that somewhere in the next few weeks, the sights and the sounds of the season will provide a lift to our spirits and even, if necessary, a momentary distraction from the burdens of life. But I also know that soon enough this season will pass and we'll be right back to the same old struggles and challenges. That is why my greater hope is that we will grab hold of the promise that God has made to us in and through Jesus Christ. I pray first that we will learn to abide by His wisdom, that we will not only hear but live by the truth He proclaims. I pray that we will follow the leadership He brings by going where He goes and doing what He does so that His integrity of life will become ours. I pray we pursue the peace that he offers by making atonement on the cross by which we have peace with God and with one another. Most of all, I pray we receive the presence of the mighty God whom Jesus brings right here, right now, in the midst of whatever struggles and challenges and heartaches we bring with us. The good news of the gospel is that we do not have to go somewhere else first. He does not call us to go get our lives cleaned up and our messes straightened out so that then we can come and be with Him. Jesus brings God's presence to us right here, right now, just as we are in the midst of our imperfect and chaotic lives. Jesus is the promise that if we follow him, he will be the one who will lead us out of the darkness and into the light. This morning, as a sign and a symbol of that presence, we come together to share in the Lord's Supper, which Jesus himself gave to us as a tangible reminder of the promise God has made through the very body of Jesus, which has been given for us. God has given us his peace. May all 
who long for the promise of God. Eat and drink and give thanks. Both here and in the CLC, I would ask our deacons who are serving if you would come and make your way to the front. On the final night that Jesus gathered with his disciples for a meal, he gave them a a reminder and a symbol of what was to come so that in the days ahead they would not lose heart and forget. He gathered while he was at the table. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we start this season of Advent in the glory of your holy birth, help us to never forget the supreme sacrifice of your body on the cross for our sins. We take this bread to remind us of your unrelenting love for us. Amen.
the body of Christ, given for us in the midst of our brokenness, that we might know of his unending love. Let us do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, while they were still at the table, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to them. And he said, this cup is now the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the opportunity to gather in this place with our brothers and our sisters and thankful Lord for this moment where we can remember just what you did for us providing a way of salvation a way we could not pay for a way we could no other way we could turn but to you father you are the only one worthy of our worship we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name, amen.
the blood of Christ shed for us that we might have peace with God. Do this in remembrance of Him. And now let us offer the prayer our Lord taught when He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The promise of Christmas is not that you and I will finally figure things out and get our act together. The promise is that God comes to us right here, just as we are, in the midst of all the struggles and heartaches, so that He can lead us through the darkness and into the light. And so as we begin this Advent journey, what is our response? If you've never called upon the Lord Jesus and acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior, that's the first step so that He can become your mighty counselor, your everlasting Father, your Prince of Peace, your mighty God. If you've made that commitment but you're needing a church home to connect with others who seek to serve Him, then we would invite you in these moments to come forward while we sing. We would love to receive you into the fellowship but all of us have something we need to do. Advent is about preparing. It is about clearing away the clutter and making space for God to come. My prayer is that as we stand and worship Him in just a moment, that, that, that the Spirit will begin to accomplish that in our midst, even now. Let's worship Him together. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>